Yes, sir, people, at that time of the evening, uh, where you join us on a program that uh, is tailor made for you. Yeah, it's a uh, legal talk, legal talk uh, with uh, our very own uh, attorney, Hafez uh, Mohammed Kuvadia. Alhamdulillah, uh, besides being a world class attorney, he's also a world class da'i, someone uh, that, uh, Alhamdulillah, has uh, really a passion for the deen and also passion for truth. Haq shall prevail and falsehood uh, perish. Hafez. Attorney Muhammad Kuvadia. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Hey, you got your PlayStation next to you or you got your Xbox? <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing this? Alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Once again, so fabulous, so great to hear your voice, uh, mashallah, and to be a guest on your show this evening. Alhamdulillah, we thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the mercies and the blessings that He's given us the opportunity. Yeah, I tell you, Muhammad, how blessed we are that uh, in the house of Islam, uh, you know, most of us take it for granted. But, you know, looking at uh, the things around us, and I noticed there's a survey going around on uh, the, uh, you know, the different medias, the uh, Instagram, the WhatsApp, the Facebooks and all these things. And they say, please vote, please vote. Uh, Islam is the best religion and all that. But, uh, you know, we don't need to vote, which is the best religion. And this is the best religion. The, you know, by the what Jesus said, Isa alayhi salam said, by the fruits, uh, you shall know them. But Alhamdulillah, really speaking, I mean, we look around us how uh, rituals are, you know, celebrated, how uh, people, uh, they call it holy nights and how unholy nights are. And, you know, uh, some uh, rituals that are brought into paganism in, in, in place of uh, a pure religion into, in, in, instead of the real way of uh, worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the way Ibrahim alayhi salam taught us and how Isa alayhi salam, you know, fell on his face and worshipped Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala before, you know, we get into the question that was posed on our composite there. Uh, you know, uh, Muhammad was uh, legally speaking, Islam is the best and Alhamdulillah, that's uh, without doubt. But, uh, you know, talk to us, take us through this uh, paganistic rituals and how this thing has infiltrated, uh, you know, Christianity, diluted it and has, uh, you know, really uh, run a mock with mankind. And, uh, you know, mankind ends off uh, uh, sinning against his own intelligence, uh, Muhammad. Gee, so Bismillah Rahman Rahim. So unfortunately, or is it fortunately, we're sitting in an environment of Christianity. So I say on, unfortunately on the one hand, because we then unfortunately expose ourselves and our iman to various types of fitness. For example, around us, we cannot escape uh, the plague of the Christmas currently and of course now we're coming into the new year there's other rituals that take place there's other forms of devil worshiping that's taking place uh, during this especially this particular week so uh, that is the unfortunate part but the unfortunate part is that we always thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for having given us the opportunity to be able to be in this environment and retain our deen inshallah so let's 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 be clear about one thing from the outset we never negotiated with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala about where he's going to place us, what year we're going to be born, what climate, what economic climate, what, uh, what, what variables they may be. This is within the discretion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We say, alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us the opportunity to be alive and to be Muslims and to practice his particular deen. Even in a Christian environment like this, we, are, we have the opportunity for us as Muslims to be practicing Muslims. Now, being a person that's involved in Dawah and outreach programs and interfaith discussions, we see sometimes more than what the average person would be able to understand 
about mechanisms. For example, when we look at the days of the week, just, just, just an introduction, when we look at the days of the week, we know that Monday, Sunday, for example, the first day of the week, is actually a day that has been dedicated to the worship of the sun. You know, the day of the sun, Sunday, or in Afrikaans, Sondag, meaning the day that the reverence of the sun is then established. So every Sunday, then, technically, the people of the pagans would worship uh, the, the sun. Coming on to, uh, to, to Monday, then, Monday is the day of the moon worship. So Mandach, like they say in Afrikaans, very clearly describes the nature of the day. That is the day that we, that the pagans worship Monday. Now, till today, these elements have continued to be, uh, to be a part and parcel of the environment that we're living in. And yet sometimes we also take things for granted and we don't, we don't understand, we don't inquire, we don't make the necessary um, inquiries. But for what it's worth, inshallah, that is, that is just something for us to consider that our days of the week is also filled with paganistic views, it's also uh, filled with shirk, it's also filled with, uh, with, with issues that we as Muslims need to be careful of. You know, when you get into the, the, the days of the, sorry, the months of the, of the year, the months of the year, for example, January is the month of the god Janus, which is a worship to Janus. And then when you have March, March is actually uh, the month for worship of the uh, of the Mars of Mars, the god of love or something, something in the Greek and Roman uh, uh, pagan idols system. And then you have the month of July, which is after Julius Caesar and August and Augustus Caesar. These were all kuffar pagans that, you know, have no value to us as Muslims, none whatsoever. Even when we talk about the recent debacle of the Soccer World Cup and Ronaldo and Messi and all these people, to us, if they don't say La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah, they have absolutely no value to us as Muslims. These are people that may be prominent in the dunya, and Allah is giving them their just reward in the dunya. But for us as Muslims, we need to be a step, ab a step above the, what the Christians consider for them to be uh, uh, soccer stars, soccer legends, and professional people. What value are they to us as Muslims? Are they Muslims in the first place? Do they worship Allah? If they are ungrateful to Allah, why should we have any level of gratitude to them as human beings? You know? So... Of course, you know, the, the thrust of today's talk is understanding how Islam needs to be exercised and how we need to be as practicing Muslims even in a non-Muslim environment, Shafat. So, Ji, just, just a little bit of a brief discussion for you to come in and maybe just respond. Yeah, I, I, like, I like what you said. Uh, you know, once you talk, Alhamdulillah, you have a way of tickling my brains. And I was thinking about, uh, you know, just look at Africa. I mean, you look at Nigeria. Nigeria, once upon, once upon a time, I believe was a 90% Muslim population, and with the dilution taking place, uh, it's uh, the split is 50-50. Why has Africa been captured by a religion which is alien? Because Africa was an Islamic continent. What went wrong there, Muhammad? What did go wrong, and how did they succumb to, uh, you know, Abathil? How did they, uh, Muhammad? Any how any thoughts? Uh, my, my thought process uh, 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 goes as follows. 
we took Nigeria, you took some of the Central African countries, you took um, East Africa, especially where the Indians and Muslims had come and a lot of Dawa workers done by the Arabs in that part of the world, right down to Malawi and Zimbabwe. Now take Malawi, which is which I'm a bit more familiar with, for example. They say the, the country's Muslim population exceeded 70 or 80 percent, and now it's like uh, less than 50 percent. And what had happened is that the Christian missionaries were doing this work of Dawah and Tabligh while we were sitting and we were counting the rands and the dollars and the quachas and all these currencies. We were too interested in vapor, we were too interested in money. And unfortunately, even when we came into this country 100, 150 years ago, this was being the same mentality of the Muslims. So one is that we are not, uh, we, we, we're not the type of dyes that Islam requires of us. How much dawah are we doing in our day-to-day activities? How much dawah are we doing, number one? Number two is that we have this barrage. We have this onslaught of Christian missionaries that have been taking place for hundreds of years. And one of the one of the reasons that the Europeans actually had set out, and if you look at South America as well, where I went recently, I understood how much of the Catholic system was brought into a totally foreign country. So... They had their worshipping, they were worshipping whatever they were worshipping. Maybe they were worshipping the pagans, or uh, the pagan gods, or they were worshipping ancestors. And when the Portuguese and the Spanish came in, they brought Catholicism to South America. So much so that even if you stand in court, there's a cross there, there's Jesus Christ standing, a statue of Jesus Christ, even in the court. How much more careful uh, should we be in these environments? So similarly in Nigeria and you find in Malawi, the Christian missionary work has been coming in and flooding in and they've been receiving now funds across the world. Their euros and their dollars and their pounds and whatever currencies they're working with is strong and Africa is weak and they're going in and they're establishing churches and they're feeding the people and they're doing the type of work. Now why are people so easily swayed? People are very easily swayed and that's a very, it's a, it's a big concern. And I think if I have to bring it down to one particular word, why people are so easily swayed out of Islam, it is ignorance. Ignorance of the religion, ignorance of the beauty of Islam, and it's ignorance of the shahadat. So, inshallah, I want to use this opportunity. We've already like close to 15 minutes into the program, and I think we, I want to use some time in the program just to explain and expound of the importance of the shahadat for us as born Muslims. as For us as Muslims who are born Muslims, I hear Muslims say, Merry Christmas. I hear, not to me, but to other Christians in a work environment, in a social environment. And I think to myself, is this what we are reduced to? Is this how little we respect our own religion that today and we can wish a Christian well on his Baatil religious holiday. When a person says Merry Christmas, he is establishing, he is sanctifying, he is approving that what you worship in the deity of Jesus Christ as being Lord is acceptable to me. I have no faith. In fact, you go ahead. I'm supporting you in your Baatil. I'm supporting you in your evil. I'm supporting you in your criminality against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that alone is sufficient for us to say or ask ourselves, are we still Muslims? Are we still Muslims when we can go and ratify and sanction and approve a Baatil religion? Whether it's Christianity today, Happy Diwali tomorrow, Rosh Hashanah uh, for the Jews on some other day, or whatever other religious festival it is, it is not our religious festival. Our religious festivals are the two Eids, 
our religious festival does not incorporate any of those false beliefs. When Nabi Wasallam came to, uh, to Medina, inquired what was his day about, and he reminded the Sahaba that Allah has given us two days of Eid. Those are our religious festivals. Go and proclaim the Eid. Be happy on the Eid. Celebrate the Eid. Give your non-Muslim uh, uh, neighbors and friends. Wish them well. Eid Mubarak on that day. If they wish you Eid Mubarak on that day, for them in their religion, it's perfectly fine. But we cannot reciprocate and say, because my Hindu neighbor, because my Christian neighbor said, uh, Juma Mubarak to me, I have an obligation now to, um, to, to wish him well on his, on his Diwali. What is Diwali? Diwali is a celebration of their gods. Diwali is a celebration of the multitudes of gods. Millions of gods, 3.3 or 330 million gods that the Hindus go, uh, have deified and made their gods. Do we then come in and say, I am happy that you are worshipping Buddha and Krishna and Rama? By saying happy Diwali to these Hindus, unfortunately, we, our own Iman, Khatra Iman, our own Iman is at stake. Our own Iman needs to be considered and questioned. You know, uh, the, 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 it is such a sacred and the responsible thing for us as Muslims to guard our iman. We need to, uh, and, uh, Allah tells us in the Quran, that if you make shirk, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will wipe away all your good deeds. Now, we understand that this verse was directed to be to the base of some, but the lesson to us is if we commit shirk, if we approve of anything that's shirk, is our condition not to be considered in the light of the verse that did all my years of good work, all my years of effort. He said, all that now being dismembered and cast aside and, and, and gone in the wind, is that the, our condition after all our years of effort? So we, you know, it may be easy, it may be just something that comes out of the tongue, wish somebody well on their religious fest festival. But if that's going to now be some sort of tacit approval of his shirk, then I need to be very careful of the nature of my shirk. And I think we should we should uh, consider very carefully what is the shahadat, what does the shahadat entail. I have a few points about the shahadat that maybe I can expound to our listeners today. And inshallah, it's a lesson to me, to you and to our listeners out there, that being in a Christian country does not mean that at any stage our religion should be battered, our religion is second, our religion will always be a'la and on top, and we should always be proud to be Muslims, and we should be concerned, and cons we, should, we should take great concern in making sure that our iman remains intact. You know, Muhammad, uh, looking at that, and then I was, once you brought in something about uh, Hinduism there, and uh, here you look at uh, Hindus, you know, uh, scientifically, and they talk about... Uh, uh, civilization and this and that, uh, you know, they're quite, uh, you know, highly advanced uh, people. But when it comes to the b belief system of the Hindu, uh, there is so much of a myth and you know, they say so much of masala that they put into their religion and, you know, they become pantheist. Everything is gods, gods, gods. This is a god. That is a god. The cow is a god. The moon is a god. And, you know, the snake is also gods and all these goddesses and so forth. Why have, uh, you know, uh, people so highly cultured but when it comes to the belief system, uh, you know, it's uh, lagging far behind, uh, Muhammad. So that's a very, very interesting point. And I think sometimes, you know, the religions, other religions skew this particular point up. Sometimes Muslims even believe 
that your success in the dunya is based upon your relationship with God, with Allah. So I know, for example, Christians in my discussions with them, they say, look how well off is Bill Gates. And God has given him so much because of his generosity and because of, you know, his, 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 the Bill Gates and Melinda Foundation. And look at, he comes into Africa and he supports. This is a Christian argument to me that God is giving them in this world because of the magnanimous nature of whom they are. Now you ask yourself as Muslims, when we looked, you know, in, 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 and maybe I'll use this as an example because when I respond, I give the Christians this response. I say there's only one thing you'll find consistent within the narrative Gospels in the New Testament, in Matthew, Mark, John, and Luke. They vary in everything else except one thing. The one thing that they do agree on is that Jesus Christ came into Jerusalem on a donkey. That's one thing you'll find in all the four Gospels. I said, and what was the donkey in those years, 2,000 years ago? The donkey was like that beat-up beetle that we drive in today's day and age. You know, it is really was not a camel, an animal of grandeur, an animal of repose. It was not a horse or a stallion or an Arabian stallion or anything for that matter. It was a donkey showing the simplicity in the life of Jesus Christ, showing the poverty, showing the hardship that he was going through, that when he traveled into Jerusalem, coming in from Bethlehem, that he traveled in on a, no, sorry, not in Bethlehem, from Nazareth, he traveled in on a donkey. So simplicity, if he was, if God wanted to favor us with the dunya, and he wanted to favor us with the wealth, and he wanted to favor us with great wealth because of our religiosity, then all the prophets would have been kings. All of them would have been kings. Isa would also have been the richest amongst the people. Nabi Sallallahu would also have been the richest amongst the people. So the dunya is just a smokescreen for the year after. We cannot establish any religiosity based on the, what a person is able to achieve in this world. So if you take and extend that point further, yes, the Hindus were known um, for, 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 for their mathematics, how they uh, uh, developed and uh, brought in the zero, and how in, even in, uh, in, in from a European perspective, we find that some of the greatest scholars, some of the greatest mathematicians, some of the greatest uh, professors or uh, scientists came out of the European era. And uh, with that, I'm just loosely saying like Einstein and Newton and whoever these other uh, these, these great philosophers were. Now. As Muslims, we sometimes marvel at, wow, look at the in invention of the internet, and look at the invention of the cell phone, and look at the invention of this and invention of that. And alhamdulillah, we as Muslims are benefiting. If we didn't have maybe radio waves being invented and sound and electricity, then our Masjid Azan would not take place as beautifully and eloquently as it's taking place. And we have to admit that maybe the Muslim support in, uh, uh, directly or indirectly in these things is minimal or zero. And we are benefiting from, from today some of the amenities. But at the end of the day, is that the criteria for success in the year after? Because a person develops all these things, obviously with the knowledge and the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah gave it to them and Allah gave some to us. And like that, the dunya and the world has embedded himself and people have prospered and people have now found a way to make their lives a bit easy. We haven't, we don't... 300 years ago, we were traveling by horse and cart. 300 years ago, it's traveling by ship. So a trip from India 
to to South Africa would maybe take a month or two. By the time we come out of there, we're dehydrated. We're possibly suffering from scurvy. We may or may not have lost some of friends and family members along the ride because that's how tough and gruesome it was. And alhamdulillah, today we jump onto a plane and eight hours later you're in another part of the world. So all these things have been given to us as Muslims and to make our life a bit easy. But when we look and remark and or we marvel at some of the achievements of humanity and mostly non-Muslims from wherever it may be, we put that, we give them the due and the respect that it deserves, but at the same time we are fully aware that they may be great in this dunya and Allah is going to give them a name. Some of these names like Newton and some of these names like Einstein will continue to exist. Allah knows for how many thousands of years or whatever the situation is, but when they stand in front of Allah, Allah will say, but you received your reward for your effort and your service and your contribution and your values. You received the reward in the dunya and your name was praised and you were a king and you were respected and you were provided with so much of wealth or whatever the situation is. But unfortunately, what of this dunya can you take into the year after? How much of the dunya, the wealth, the fame, the money, the name and all these things of any benefit from an Islamic perspective, alhamdulillah, we know and we know better that all those things are left behind. When we go to the grave, you leave the dunya behind. People may marvel at how great you are and how well, and the Quran talks about from time to time, that you may get amazed by how some people uh, are in this dunya and how much they've been given. And, you know, uh, and, and there's some hadith that talk about certain other things about the amazement of other people. But you are always then grounded and saying, but your Iman and your Islam is more valuable than the achievement of the whole world. Muhammad, uh, you really, uh, you, you bring everything alive and you talk about inventions and all that. But you know, you and I, like we are presently, we're using uh, algorithms uh, to work with the computers, with our science and uh, even you flying your space rockets and so forth. Without algorithms, you won't have your Wi-Fi, you won't have your mathematics and all these things. But you know, it was invented by a Muslim. Al-Khwarizmi, you know, he's famous for his mathematical works, which introduced Hindu Arabic numerals, which you were spot on, and algebra, uh, algebra uh, to the European uh, mathematicians. In fact, the words algorithm and algebra comes from his name and the title of one of his works, uh, respectively. So how brilliant is that, that a Muslim invented this? And you talk about AI. Without algorithms, you can't even go into the AI mode. And Alhamdulillah, bless you for bringing out such a powerful, powerful uh, information here, uh, Muhammad. I know as uh, we look at our topic where we say, you know, Islam, Alhamdulillah, and we uh, we we're not only really thumb sucking this, uh, you know, the reason why we say legally speaking, Islam is the best. And there's one very heavy, uh, brilliant point we've got there. Judge, are you listening? Yes, Your Honor. Yes, your worship. <laughs> you only worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But uh, Muhammad, you know, I've been thinking also whilst you're talking about, you know, people, the type of people that uh, revert to Islam. And you notice that most Dawah organizations today, they get a big smile when, okay, when, you know, you get uh, people of maybe darker skin coming for Dawah or, or they accepted Islam. And, uh, you know, there's not a much of a fa- smile on the, on, on, on the Dawah organization or the individuals. But should it be a Westerner or a European or someone who have light skin that come for and they accept Islam and there is this excitement and there's this embracing them and taking their extra TLC for them, are we still colonized? 
are we still being subjugated in our minds that uh, we want to please the Westerner when it comes to Islam? And, uh, uh, you know, to be uh, uh, magnanimous to the Westerner, lots of them are becoming Muslims. Lots of Europeans are becoming Muslims for the right reasons. Uh, Muhammad, your comment? Gee, no, alhamdulillah, I think Islam is growing, continues to grow. With our support, with our help, without our help, Allah's deal will continue to survive, alhamdulillah. And yes, yes, we find today, for example, not a few weeks ago, we found out that Andrew Tate, uh, a sportsman, politician, not politician, but rather a, a, a personality, accepted Islam. And alhamdulillah, we are happy when anybody accepts Islam. Whether it's the person working for us, whether it's the president of the country, whether it's our neighbor, we should always give everybody the due respect that it deserves. Now, the issue of somebody famous embracing Islam is also needs to be considered in the light. You see, let's let's go back to the life of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The people that had easily accepted Islam and had earlier accepted Islam were those that were poor. It was, it was you know, the, the poorer people that had accepted Islam. And for, for, for whatever the reason may be, maybe it was easier for them to consider Islam because they were more down to earth. They were more understanding of pain and suffering and they were looking for, you know, salvation. And this was a beautiful uh, example, a beautiful message of Islam that Nabi Sallallahu was putting forth. But at the same time, the Bissalism had to make special uh, uh, inroads to the senior uh, seniority of the Meccans. So he would go to the higher class, he would invite them, they would sit down, they would have a meeting and a discussion, and he would be very keen to want to bring them into Islam. Why? Because these were influential people. And by influential people accepting Islam, you find that a lot of people, you find sometimes when a chief of a tribe accepts Islam, the whole tribe accepts Islam. So effort on one person could result automatically in 100 people accepting Islam. And a president, if uh, Allah knows best, but you know, if, if a person like Nelson Mandela had to accept Islam, possibly the Dawah in this country would have been much easier because thousands of people would automatically have accepted Islam because he was their hero. He was their leader. He was our leader. And at the same time, when we look at it from that perspective, we then have to give people the necessary respect that is due. So, for example, that uh, I could invite uh, a person to come to my house, and, you know, maybe it's a black person, so he has a meal with me, and I think treat him with respect and dignity. But tomorrow, if I find out that the president of the country is going to come, then it's going to be the best dishes and the best silverware and the best food and this and that. So, on the one hand, you know, like I say, it's an issue that that needs to be considered. On the one hand, you know, the a black person could say, you know, I'm a non-entity, but he treated me in this way. But now the president of the country, um, uh, you know, black or white, whatever, then uh, because he's he's a, he's a dignitary and he has a level of respect, we treat him with a level of respect. But then also we understand that the system dealt with people according to their condition, according to their status. And... And, and, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reprimanded him at one stage when we read the story, that Nabi Sussum was talking to a, a group of the, uh, the, of the elders. I understand it's the Meccan elders. Yes, it was the Meccan elders. And he was talking to them and he was very involved in the, in the, in the, in the discussion with them, talking to him obviously about the tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And a blind person came and Nabi Sussum then ignored him and it's for this reason Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reprimanded him at the same time to say that um, 
this is this is this is something that you need to be you need to correct yourself that it, the, a believe a believer is more virtuous is more noble than a, 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 a kafir even though the kafir may have a high status so yes yes whilst we understand that there is personalities around the world and sometimes you know uh, we are happy of course when anybody accepts islam we are happy and we are happy that they have come into islam and they are seeing uh, seeing the truth about uh, the deen of islam we support that we welcome them we encourage them to become better people and better muslims and at the same time they are people who are influential they are people who when on their channels on their youtube channels when they go out and they speak they have an opportunity to change the hearts of people because it's like a personality wearing a nike t-shirt or uh, ray-ban sunglasses you know it's it's advertising when a personality wears a new brand of clothing or something that's uh, the, the youngsters uh, love in him then they love things about him so if he's a soccer star but he drinks this particular brand of water that particular the sales in that particular brand of water necessarily goes up so yes i can understand your position when you tell me that these personalities come into islam well, how do we stand should we be a bit more uh, we should and of course we don't make gulu any person that, uh, that that comes into the masjid as a new muslim we will teach him how to make wudu we teach him how to pray we teach him about islam in many aspects but we don't overemphasize his position the president of the country comes in we don't bow down to him we don't kiss his hands we don't maybe uh, you don't kiss his hands you don't kiss his feet you don't do certain things that you that that would make gulu because at the end of the day he may be the president of the country but uh, he, that's uh, up to a particular point he's my brother and i'm going to talk to him and i'm going to give him the respect that he deserves but of course end of the day if he is not a muslim then we place him we give him the level and the daraja up to that particular point you know uh, muhammad uh, when uh, dawa for people doing dawa you'll notice uh, that uh, this new one world agenda is being pushed through and uh, religion is being put in the back burners and you know uh, circularism is coming to the fore and uh, the shaitania belief system where you know you don't believe in god you believe in uh, materialism you believe in uh, things that are tangible that you can feel and touch and all and enjoy your senses uh, to the maximum and uh, you know these islamophobes but uh, is there you know i don't know i'm thinking aloud here and perhaps you could help me out and uh, the question that i want to pose to you is the sun setting on the western empire is it setting on it uh, uh, mohammed you know when we put things from the from the from the uh, from the eyes and from the viewpoint of islam then we think to ourselves how terrible is the condition of the west look at the condition of the people people came to qatar and looked at the beauty of islam people looked at how free people were to live their lives they were not shackled up psychologically they were not enslaved there was so much freedom and so much that the people could go back why is it that more women are accepting islam today why is it in the condition when people you would say that islam is so burdensome on women that islam is oppressive to women women are accepting islam because this is what women want women want to be in a position where they are not eyeballed where they don't become uh, victims in the community that they are not made cheap in the eyes of the community at the end of the day we living in a stereotype community where we believe oh it's nice 
to have to be submissive to a government. Look at the lifestyle of the average Westerner. And Alhamdulillah, I've had an opportunity to travel throughout Europe and I've, I've been to North America. And I say to myself, Alhamdulillah, I'm not living in this country. Sometimes the families and the people I meet, they cannot come out except that they have to run two jobs. It is so common for a person living in the States to have two jobs. And I tried to understand. I said, in our country, South Africa, it's so it's so different. It's so unique that we do not even find that a person generally has two jobs. A person, he's able to come out with what he earns in the day. Now, these people, they work one job in for eight hours, then they come home, then they have something to eat, maybe catch a bit of a break, and then they're going to do something else. Whether they're doing soccer training, whether they are teaching in the universities or in the colleges or something, it's a second job. Or maybe they're going to pack shelves in Walmart or they're going to work in a gas station. And I was shocked. Speaking to these people, I'm thinking to myself, the quality of life, alhamdulillah, that, that we have, that we wake up early in the morning, we go to work, by three, four, five o'clock, we start making our way home and that is our day. How much more beautiful, how much more of ease don't we have in a country like South Africa? Notwithstanding its issues, we should be grateful that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us so much more freedoms and liberties that we get in a Western country. And going back to the Islamic regime, it is not oppressive in the least. Sharia law is not oppressive. Sharia law is the balanced system of belief. It's the balanced system for justice, for morality, for socioeconomic conditions. When a person can leave his keys in his car, Go to the shops, go to the museum, come out and see that his car is still there. When you lose your wallet at the beach or at the at the shops or at work, and you come back after an hour and it's still there where you left it, that is peace of mind. When you know that you don't have to, you're not living uh, in an environment and you think that there's no crime in these countries, the crime is worse off. The hijackings that takes place, the murder that takes place, the robbery and the rape that takes place, what about the drugs? We haven't even started with the drugs. Drugs has practically engulfed the communities. People are either selling drugs, taking drugs, becoming victims of drugs. And like how you get second-hand smoke, you're getting second-hand drug abuse. People are suffering because family members in their own homes are suffering from drugs. What quality of life is there in a system like this? What quality is there, in, is there when a person can drink till he's out of his mind, he comes home, he abuses his wife, he fights with the children, he's, he's psychologically and mentally, he needs to drink every night, but the family suffers the consequences. If it, if what, you know, it, it's so, so for me, sunsetting on the West has happened as, as long as Islam is not there. Sunsetting on the West is absolutely nothing that I will, uh, I, 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 can, I can admire about the West. I will tell you that irrespective of what the conditions are, we have Islam with us. Islam is, there may be trials and tribulations in this world, and that is the nature of the of our existence. That, uh, Allah tells us in Tabarak, uh, uh, verse number two, that it is Allah that has created death and life to see which of you are best in deeds. This, the, the, the purpose of this dunya was never ever so that we could acquire wealth, was never ever so that we can be successful in the dunya, was never ever that we can build huge buildings 
people can admire from 10 kilometers away and 20 kilometers away. That was never the purpose of existence in, the, in this dunya. So because we know that and because we understand that, we're able to say, you know what, alhamdulillah, no matter what my situation is, as long as I have Islam, I am the richest person under the sun. I like that, Muhammad, and you're on a roll. You're definitely on the roll. You know, I've been thinking whilst you're talking about, uh, you know, Christianity, we talk about the West and we find uh, that, uh, you know, amongst them, they, they have so many different denominations of the church. Uh, they don't see eye to eye and some are Zionist supporters and some are, you know, they, they have different opinions. Uh, but, uh, well, when we look at the Crusades, uh, uh, Europe wasn't united. I mean, the Scots and the, uh, you know, the, the, the Welsh and the French and the, you, know, you name all the different Italians and all those. They, 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 they actually fought each other. But when it came to the Crusades, what they did, Muhammad, was they united and they went for a common enemy and they called Islam the enemy. And you remember those Crusades were horrendous and so forth. But uh, also there's a point of uh, when you look at the West indeed and uh, today that mentality if uh, they get into coalition, when they go and uh, attack Muslim lands, uh, they are very united. It's the same crusader mentality, but, uh, you know, uh, with a different coating and different coloring. Uh, Muhammad, your thoughts? Gee, so there'll always be unity as long as it is against Islam. Allah tells us in the Quran, that the Jews and the Christians will never be happy with you until you follow their ways. And how much truth is there in that statement? If we just think carefully about the meaning and the understanding of the verse, we will realize that we will always be the enemy of the Jews and the Christians. And in another verse, Allah even tells us that the most uh, that, that your, 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 your adversary, the, most, the person that will despise you the most, will be the Jews and those people that are on shirk. In another verse that Allah tells us, I, I, I said now that remember for us as Muslims, we have to carefully consider there is no unity except when it comes to the Muslims. So within themselves, there is all this battle. And that's because if you can't unite on truth, then you will, un you will be disunited on falsehood. If you can't unite on truth, what keeps us galvanized as Muslims is that we have La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah. As long as we have La ilaha illallah, my brother will stand next to me and he will pray. And I know when we go to Mecca and Medina and we see the beauty of Islam, then it has now begun to, to move through all the four corners of the world. My Russian brother, my Chechen brother, my European brother, my Australian brother, my uh, local African brother, all standing side by side because we unite on Haq. The Kufar are united on Batil, but even within themselves, there are major issues. Obviously, the Jew and the Christian in them will always have their disagreements about, for example, the deity and the personality of Jesus Christ. So they read from the same book, like the Quran says, We call it till Yahudu Laysatin Nasara Alashay, we call it in Nasara Laysatil Yahudu Alashay, home yet Lunal Kitab. Allah says that the Jews are, are, are tell, say about the Christians that they are not on the correct path and the Christians say about the Jews that they're not on the correct path. But yet at the end of the day, they read from the same book. I mean, that this is exactly the reality. They both read the same Bible and yet they keep on poking at each other and calling each other names and they divided themselves up. So much so that they say that 
Jesus Christ, Isa Islam. This is they say. We don't believe it, but they say that Isa Islam was never a Christian, and that he was always a Jew, and that he never promoted the ideology of Christian. He was always a strong supporter of the doctrine of Moses. And then he says, the, and they use they use passages in the New Testament to support this. Um, that you know that I've come, Jesus Christ. Uh, they say that uh, Jesus Christ is uh, said that I've come not to, dis- to 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 destroy. I've come to fulfill the, uh, the 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 law of Moses and not to destroy it. So meaning that you know, being a, a, a person of Musa Salam would for the Jews mean that you are you are actually a Jew, a Jew and not a Christian. All these things for us, where does it leave us as Muslims? It all it leaves us with the fact that we here will have adversaries, we will have these challenges. We're living in an environment today, especially in South Africa, that we are outnumbered. We're two percent of the population. In other words, we're fifty to one. For every one Muslim there is in the country, there's close to fifty people that are non-Muslim in the country. And in everything that we do, we're gonna have challenges. If we want to pray our salah, there's gonna be a challenge here. We're gonna make our zan, there's gonna be challenge here. Whether the challenge comes from uh, Christianity or it comes from Hinduism or it comes from Judaism or it comes from wherever, wherever, wherever the, the objection comes from in our community, they're all united on Batil. They are disunited on Batil. Let's put it that we're all united against the Haq. So when it comes to Islam, we have no friends. We have no friends. We treat them with a level of respect and dignity that we would afford to our neighbor or to our co-worker. But at the end of the day, we do not take them as confidants. We do not take them as bosom friends. And we have a level and a distance about them that we we must be concerned and considered uh, that, that we need to consider for the protection of our Islam and our deen. Now, this is your pet topic that's coming up now. You know, whenever... You know, individuals went out and, uh, you know, they went to a, a certain country, a Muslim individuals. And uh, one of those things that, that was very successful in the Dawah methodology was marriage. When they, you know, when you marry an individual, you don't only marry, marry that individual, you marry the whole clan. So, you know, this is what they're bringing them in into the house of Islam, marrying their uh, being good uh, son-in-laws and, you know, uh, making an indelible impression. And so when more, uh, you know, Muslims came through, they were allowed to marry more and more. In this country, it seems as if, as if the uh, you know those foreigners are from uh, the subcontinent, uh, the Bangladeshis and sometimes our, some of our Pakistani brothers and so forth, are marrying into uh, you know uh, in, uh, our African sisters. And uh, uh, how successful are they? Because uh, Muhammad, you are there and uh, you're watching that you know Amadi that was talking about ratios of 14 to one, 14 women to one. That, that may be gone to 40 to one, 100 to one. Allahu alam. But uh, you know, what's your latest uh, survey? Or the, uh, the statistics that you have for us, uh, you know, to bring us up to speed on what's really happening in the ground. Is marriage being successful as a dawah tool, uh, Mohammed? Gee, you know, so uh, I, they, they say in the dawah field, if you can't propagate, then procreate. <laughs> if you can't take dawah out to the people, then maybe you must have more children so that the numbers of the Muslims can increase, alhamdulillah, for that. Be that as it may, things need to be considered very carefully. When we go out to some of these townships, some of these kasis, like they say, and we encounter Muslims, we find that generally, in some of our indigenous Muslims, there is one of the brothers from the subcontinent 
that actually made them Muslims, either by virtue of working with them or virtue of marriage or virtue of living next to them and near them and being good and showing them that Islam is a better religion for them. So Alhamdulillah, when we go out to these areas, we find these Muslims and sometimes it's the case, like I say, that these people have embraced Islam through the efforts of the subcontinent. I always say, I'd rather a Muslim brother coming into this country than a non-Muslim brother coming into this country, either as refugees or coming in um, into to look for employment or as a professional, because with him, there is an opportunity that the numbers of Muslims in this country can increase, and it needs to increase, and that should be our concern as dais. What are we doing? Are we sitting on our laurels? We have big uh, access to big politicians. We have access to some of the more prominent people in the community and in the country. We have an opportunity to interact with some of the more successful businessmen and prominent businessmen in the community. And if these people, we have to take Islam to them, what an opportunity, how beautiful is it? But we're not doing it. So people at ground level, these brothers from India, Pakistan and Bangladesh have no access to prominent people. They don't have access to wealthy people, but they are doing dawah in their own small little way and they're having children. Those children are growing up and they're becoming Muslims in Muslim environments and they're going to madrasas and madrasas are being established. So when we go into the classes, you find there's a little musalla, a small two by two that people are frequenting and people are, are using. And how did it come about? Because of the effort of, a, of one of our, our brothers from the subcontinent, Indian subcontinent. They came and they're doing work and they're making an effort in the community in their small way. They're not standing up uh, 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 Bible bashing or Quran bashing and, you know, doing the, the, the dawah like uh, we should ought to be doing in their little way. So that is commendable. And the fact that they embrace Islam, uh, sometimes the women become Muslims and sometimes they may not become Muslims. And when they become Muslims, it's even better. But you know what? I found that the children always, alhamdulillah, from my experience, the children always become Muslim. So even if the mother is not a Muslim, she sends these children to these madrasas. And these children grow up to be Muslims. And, you know, in time will tell over the next generation how many more Muslims these people have brought into Islam. And I say once again, I'd rather that person, I respect that person because he's doing dawah, he's bringing people into the deen and he's helping the cause one way or the other. So there's a lot of respect that needs to go out to these people. We ourselves, we're too intimidated, we're too afraid, we're too scared, we, we, we got too, uh, too much mijaj or pride for us to be doing dawah in some of these areas. And, and uh, if we can't do it, somebody else can do it. Yeah, now, Muhammad, uh, perhaps the uh, important question to pose here is how successful are these uh, cross-cultural marriages? Uh, do they work out or do you have any statistics for us? You know, uh, how many break off and how many uh, stay the whole uh, uh, the whole route, uh, Muhammad? She said, it's obviously, uh, you know, there's no formal statistics on these types of things. You find that, you know, uh, sometimes, sometimes, of course, these marriages are sham marriages for the purposes of maybe getting citizenship uh, into this country. This is people are willing to pay a lot of money today to get a South African identity document and a South African passport and to change your nationality to South African. So obviously some of these things are sham marriages. And once it happens or once the home affairs then catch up with these people, they then, you know, then uh, these marriages obviously end up in divorce and somebody may even go to jail as a result of fraud. But be that as it may, 
We found that uh, from the Bangladeshis that are getting married and some of the Pakistanis that we are seeing that are marrying into these communities, they are married for many, many years and they are happy and they are willing to sacrifice a lot of the creature comforts that we are so used to. They live in these communities, they marry in these communities. Sometimes, unfortunately, you know, they do leave behind their own wives uh, back in Bangladesh, and they don't tell the fa uh, family about these things, and it's that's you know that's deceit, and it should be at some stage. You know, the wife needs to know that he's got a family, he's got wife and kids in Bangladesh, and maybe his wife and kids in South Africa. Uh, but 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 the most important thing a person needs to consider about this whole thing is that he's doing it the halal way. He is not living in an illegal, illicit relationship. He is not a criminal. In the eyes of Allah, he's not having zina and having illegitimate children. He is marrying her in a halal way and he's having Muslim children. So even if the marriage doesn't work after five years or ten years, this is qadr Allah, this is what Allah has decreed, that his marriage will only be for five or ten or fifteen or twenty years. And we should not look down upon it because even in our own community, cross-cultural marriage or not cross-cultural marriage, Look in our community how prominent and how how divorce has actually taken off in the communities. But put things on the basis of whatever, the good that is being done in a halal relationship, the good that is being done from a dawah perspective, the good that is being done by these brothers is something that we as a community need to be appreciative, appreciative of. Because even unfortunately, till today, Muslims we are lacking in going out to the communities. We, you know, and, 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 and people maybe have their reservations because they, they feel intimidated or they're unsafe or the conditions there are not up to scratch. And, you know, the, the masjids, normally the insides of these masjids are very basic and it's very hard. But this is the part of the sacrifice. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to run down any particular group, but we have to find an opportunity for us to be able to move, move people into the castles, into the townships, into the locations, and doing the dawah and loving with these people, eating with them, staying with them, and making them realize that you are you, you are capable of having the salvation in the year after, and you are going to be my brother, my Muslim brother, my brother, I'm going to take a bullet for you, I'm going to be able to sacrifice for you because you are my Muslim brother. And, and just in conclusion to this particular point, I must state that we find that a lot of the problems in the past, like the looting, like the protesting, like the, you know, uh, the, the, unfortunately, the backlash against the Indians, all stems about because they don't have Iman. If these people had a level of Iman, which person in the looting, which person did you see, black person with a kurta or a topi going in and looting? I think... There was an element mm. of guilt within himself. I think there was an element of pride, haya, that I cannot belittle myself and my religion by going out and doing these things. Although a lot of the blacks in our community, alhamdulillah, accepting Islam. In fact, the statistics are incorrect. There are so many more Muslims in our uh, South African community that they have not updated it. It's more informal than it is formal, so people are are not are not taken into and censored and brought into the system, and for whatever particular reason, illegal uh, Malawis, Zimbabwe's, Mozambicans, India, Bangladesh, Pakistan that are coming in, and even from the Arab world, you're finding that these people are coming in, and some are undocumented. Whatever the situation is, I believe the statistics of two percent is very flawed. 
Alhamdulillah, I think it is closer to 5%. I've even had some figures closer to 8 and 10%, but I, I don't know if I can rely on these figures. So yes, yes, Allah will use these people in different, different opportunities to do dawah and to motivate the people. And let's not, let's, if, even if there is a high level of divorce, even if it was a 100% level of divorce, the good that comes out of these marriages, some of the women and all of the children continue to remain Muslims, is more vital, more beneficial uh, for us. Dawah, uh, marriage and dawah go together. Nabi Sallallahu had the opportunity to marry multiple wives. And these wives came with tribes and communities and people that accepted Islam. So in our small little way, we also do that type of dawah. Where the opportunity arises, then we continue to do the dawah and we commend the people that are doing the work. Another brilliant point there, adding uh, to our question. Uh, what you ask, uh, what tells you, legally speaking, Islam is the best. And you made a point, such a valid point about the looting. Did you ever find someone with the kurta, the buyer, going and looting? No. Amongst the indigenous, amongst the African brothers and sisters? No. As Muhammad said, if they were conscientized and if they had that conscience that Allah is watching them, that Allah is uh, going to question them, they wouldn't have done that. Muhammad, brilliant indeed. Uh, Allah had blessed you this uh, evening. Uh, perhaps uh, you're rounding up on your parting words uh, before we let you go. Gee, so I tell people that sometimes we lose sight of the fact that the greatest gift, the greatest asset, the greatest amount of wealth is nothing except La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us the, an opportunity. A lot of us have been born into Muslim homes and don't really appreciate the value of what Islam has to offer. You have to find that the reverts are coming into this religion and appreciating Islam better than what we can appreciate Islam about. And even if you look at some of the prominent people of the past and current and people that are uh, that, that celebrities, I mean, I, when I saw the video with Ahmadidat and Gary Mills in the 80s of how an American person can come into Islam and he can bring his uh, white face to a Muslim community and talk so boldly about the Quran, I was impressed about it. When I looked at it and I, and I, and I, and I saw, so these people had to go through a lot of effort to learn what Islam is about. They had to give up and sacrifice relationships. They severed relationships with some of their own family members, including their spouses and their children, because they wanted to accept Islam. We have the gift of Islam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us the beauty and the benefit uh, making us Muslims from birth and we grew up in a Muslim environment we went to Madras and we strong the question that surrounds that is what type of Muslims are we today are we really sincere in our deen are we really do we have the necessary knowledge so that we can safely say Alhamdulillah you know I, I practice Islam and I keep away from elements of shirk shirk comes in straight towards you in a direct manner and shirk also comes like a thief in the night where it steals your iman without you knowing about it. So as Muslims, you know, we and our, the culture and the community is that of Christianity and we're living in a Christian community but it doesn't mean that we, ha we have to sacrifice our religion. These issues of Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, we are Muslims, we do not believe that the Islamic, uh, that the Christian year is more virtuous than the Islamic year. This is not the way of a believer. The Islamic days of the month 
days of the week, Yomul Ahad, Yomul Ithnain, Yomul Thulata, Yomul Albiya is the days we should try to use and inculcate Yomul Juma instead of Friday. We should try to inculcate today's Muharram, today's Ramadan, today's Jamal al Awal. This is how we uh, we, we should uh, obviously you know consider and think things. Of course, we, these are inescapable that we have to use this Christian terminology. But at the end of the day, how many of us even know how old we are from an Islamic perspective? Abyssalism passed away when he was 63 years old. In the Christian uh, state, it would have been 61. 61 if you convert it, um, uh, it's 63 years old. So if if we a person who is 60 and coming on to 61 years old, you tell him you already reached Nabi Sallallahu age. You would say, why? You say, because Nabi Sallallahu was 63 years old from an Islamic perspective and you are 63 years old from an Islamic perspective. Let's go back and understand that we are Muslims first and our lifestyle can should be conducive, conducive to an Islamic lifestyle. And it starts with these subtleties. It starts with staying away from Merry Christmas, Merry, Happy Diwali, Happy New Year. This is not the way. We don't even say Happy Ramadan, or you know, or we, we we do make dua for a person in a beautiful manner, but we don't carry on the way the Christians carry on about on our New Year and our religious festivals. Why should we go and embrace their religious festivals uh, like the way they do? So Jazakallah Khair once again for this opportunity. I may have come across <laughs> a bit strong, but you know, doing dawah, our mind opens up to some of the mistakes that we're seeing in a community, Muslims interacting with Christians. And I thought we'll use this as an opportunity to remind ourselves, inna deena inda Allah islam the only religion, the only religion that is acceptable to Allah is Islam. Jazakallah khair. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Now before I greet you back, uh, Muhammad, uh, you spoke about Gary Miller, also known as Abdullah Umar. And, you know, I remember I was captivated by him. I heard him as a lighty in Westridge Park that was in Durban is the tennis stadium and what an endeavor at that time was apartheid time when you're seeing this Canadian coming and you know taking on all those uh, uh, different types of uh, Christian groups and they were asking questions and he was giving them very intellectual answers Muhammad as uh, usual you've been uh, mashallah brilliant indeed Allah keep you Allah bless you we'll talk to you soon wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh time for us to go for a yeah, for the uh, Isha Azan, and inshallah we will continue after that.